Well, it's good to see you. Today we're going to be talking about lifting up Jesus, and it's a, it's a really interesting passage we have before us today. Um, it may, becomes interesting toward the end. So those of you who are, you know, have that tendency to kind of relax and, uh, and, and just get all excited in the beginning and then relax at the end, just do not do that. Because this is going to take a turn that you're not going to expect, I promise you that. You know, revival is an interesting thing. It is something that happens to those of us who were once vived. And we need to be revived. God has to do something fresh in our life. I always like to ask myself this question, and most of the time I don't get the answer I want. Am I as close to God as I ever have been? Or have there been moments and times, seasons in my life where I have been closer to God, felt more alive and alert in the spirit than I am right now? And if you say yes, there have been times, then can I say to you right now, then revival needs to come this morning. The beginning of that move of the spirit of God needs to come this morning. J.I. Packer, a writer that I have followed for a number of years and love his writings, says this about the constants in biblical revivals, one of them is that there is always an awareness of God's presence. That you live, you move, and you breathe with an awareness that God is present and active and involved in your life, not far away, distant and removed. There's also a responsiveness to God's word. That when you hear the word of God, you don't say, well, yeah, I should do that. You say, I will do that. When God speaks, you listen, you hear, you respond. There's also a, sensi a sensitivity to sin. That you, you're faithful to look at your own life and see what's working, what's not working, what's right and what needs to be changed. Your conscience becomes sensitive and say, you know, I really need to change that in my life. And I confess my sins to God and I, and I stand before him asking for his cleansing and his power. There's also a liveliness within the community of, of God, love and generosity, unity and joy, assurance and boldness, and a spirit of praise and joy permeate people. They're excited about it. They, they know what they're doing. This week, I went and got my hair cut, and my, the guy that's been cutting my hair for all these years, he says, what is it with people? And I go, what? I don't know what. Everybody's griping. He didn't say gripe. He used a different word. And he goes on, and he's telling me all this stuff, and, and I said, do you think it's worse now than it's ever been? He said, absolutely. And it's always a window to talk about God. He said, this lady came in, and she sat down, and the minute she sat down, I had a great day. I went surfing that morning. I had a great day, and, and I was all excited. It was 9 o'clock, and I started, and she started on, in on me. I go, what'd you do? He said, I told her to shut up. <laughs> I said, how'd she respond? She did. She said she was sorry, you're right, I do complain too much. You know, you can't have a complaining spirit and have a spirit of revival in your heart. In all things, give thanks. That's scripture. Remember that responsiveness to the word of God? In all things, give thanks. It doesn't mean everything you're thankful for. It doesn't mean that everything's going well in your life. It means you have adopted this attitude of praise and gratitude to God because you know whatever you're going through, God is going to get you through. 
You give him the glory. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, and that's Bible. That's what the word of God says. And then there's a fruitfulness and testimony, Packer said, that, that what we do is we proclaim the word of God in word and in deed. That we tell people about this new life that you can have in Jesus Christ. That the life you're living, if it's a religious life or a non-religious life, doesn't have to be like that. It can be a Jesus life. It can be a life that really takes on the characteristic of God himself. You see, no church can experience these heavenly powers we talked about here without earthly upheaval. When you start living for God, expect something to oppose you. Expect something to come up against you. It's just the way it is. Now let's look at this story in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain uh, lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And it's interesting that here's this guy that can't walk, that every day somebody, a friend, a relative, brings him here to this temple gate to beg. And it's at the place called Beautiful. Can I tell you, when you take your burdens to the place called Beautiful, God is going to answer your prayer. When you take your place to the, to, the, to the gate called Ugly, don't expect God to show up. Because God wants you to be able to rejoice in the situation you find yourself in and then let God begin to work in your life. So they laid him there at that place called Beautiful to ask alms from those who were entering into the temple. In other words, it was strategic because what better place to take an offering if you're begging than at the door of the temple, the door of the church. Here's this guy, well, am I gonna walk in and go to church and not give this guy something? I gotta do this. And so it was very strategic, very thought out. But notice what it says. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, John Peter said, look at us. Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He asked for pennies, he didn't ask for legs. Sometimes we ask for pennies, we don't ask for the right thing. God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. God wants to do far greater things in your life than he's doing right now. And sometimes we find ourselves strategically positioned at the gate called beautiful and we're asking for the wrong thing. We need to ask for great and mighty things. He said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, he lifted him up and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And so he stood up, walked and entered the temple, look at this, walking, leaping, praising God. Which do you think he'd rather have? Legs or a few pennies? See, we settle for so much less than what God has in store for us. And this didn't go without notice. It says in verse 9 that all the people, they saw him walking and praising God. They thought, is this the same guy? Is this the guy, that, has he been faking it all along? That was their first response, but then they remembered, wait a minute, I've been coming, how long have you been here? I've been at five years, 10 years, 20 years. I've seen him there, he's never moved. I've seen them carry him, he's never moved. This is the guy. 
And then they knew it was him who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. You see, when God does something unique, people are filled with wonder and amazement. When they can't take credit, when nobody can take credit, when all you have to do is step back and say, this must be God doing at what had happened. Verse 11, now as the lame lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, I mean, he didn't want to get away from these guys. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So here is this crowd, this mob that's just following these guys. They're they're worshiping these guys. They're, They're following after thinking, these guys have some power. We need to find out what's this power all about. So when Peter saw it, He saw their response. He knew he didn't want that in his life. He responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or look so intently as as though by our own power of godliness, we have made this lame man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, glorified, glorified, look at this, his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and you asked for a murder to be granted and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised up from the dead, which we are witnesses. He took this phenomena, this glory to God, a miracle, and he took their heart and he tore them toward their conscience and said, there's something wrong in your life. Whenever a miracle happens, it should humble us. It should never exalt us. If anything, it should cause us to re-examine our life in the light of God's word. It says in verse 16, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as did your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that Christ would suffer has thus been fulfilled. Verse 19, repent therefore and be converted. In other words, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ yet, believe. Turn away from life of the past and embrace the new life that's found in Jesus Christ, that your sins, it says, may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Have you ever felt a need for refreshing? Ever feel like you just need to to somehow find some new life in God? To be renewed, to be restored? That comes from God. That comes from the Lord. Verse 20, that he may send Jesus who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive. Now notice this. So Christ died, buried, rose from the dead, and he waits the return until, notice what it says, until the times of restoration of all things. We're in, the, we're in that waiting phase right now, the time of restoration to come, that God is going to make all things new that God is going to make new heavens and new earth, that God is going to bless beyond what we could ever ask or think, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God spoken by the mouth of his holy, all of his holy prophets since the world began. Lifting up Jesus is what we're all about. Lifting up Jesus. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men unto myself. 
When you lift up Jesus, miracles happen. When you lift up yourself, they don't. When you lift up your problem, miracles don't happen. When you lift up somebody else, miracles don't happen. When you start lifting up Jesus, lifting up Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want you to be lifted up. Notice what Peter said, I don't have anything. I'm not a wealthy man, he said there in verses six and eight through eight. He said, I I don't have the, the ability to give you what you ask for, but what I do have, I give to you freely. I give you life. I give you the power to walk. He said, Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He leaped, he stood, he jumped, he praised God. And wouldn't you? Imagine what that experience would be like. And you see these, this miracle took, took place in three different dimensions. Sometimes we think about miracles are just kind of one kind of miracle. But one miracle was a physical miracle. He walked. He'd never done that before. He was healed physically. We've seen God heal people physically here in this place. And there's a rejoicing and there's a miracle that goes on in that. But there's another kind of healing and it's an emotional. It says he leaped. You see, it wasn't just walking. There was a joy back in his heart. It wasn't just physically getting from point A to point B. No, now something had changed. Now he had a joy in his heart. Not only did he walk, but he was leaping. Because emotionally, he had been restored by God himself. Are there some areas emotionally that need to be restored, that need to be healed in your life? Maybe it's a broken relationship of the past. Maybe it's a pain suffered through a loss of a job. Maybe it's something that we don't even want to talk about here today, but you need to be emotionally healed from that so that you can leap again, so you've got joy back in your heart. Jesus said, my joy do I give unto you, not as the world gives, but I, my joy do I give unto you that your joy may be made full. And then he also, he also did something to him spiritually. Look, he healed him spiritually. He praised God. He wasn't praising God at the gate. He was asking for money. He needed to be healed spiritually. You know how we're healed spiritually? It's when we come to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus died on a cross, he was buried, and he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And we experience that healing spiritually. Also, when miracles happen, people become curious about our God. You know what people, people observed. People knew exactly who that guy was. They watched him. They came in and out. They probably tried to wait for the right moment when they wouldn't make eye contact so they wouldn't have to give him anything. You ever had that happen? You see a beggar and you go, oh, yeah, I got to get on the other side of the street quick because, you know, he's going to get my money. You know, like you're going to give him a lot, right? Like you're going to suffer loss from this great investment in his life. And then in your mind, what do you do? You start to go, well, you know, he's probably just a crook. You know, he's probably just going to spend it on the wrong stuff. Well, you do. You spend money, yeah, but I earn it. Okay, some days you do, right? Some days it's just a gift, right? You didn't work that hard. Here's a gift. I'm going to give you a paycheck. We're going to call it a gift today. Also, people wonder. You see, when things start happening, when miracles start happening, people wonder, well, I wonder if a miracle could happen to me. I can't think of a time when I shared a story of someone's healing in our body with somebody that somebody didn't say, you know, so-and-so has a problem. I wonder if God would heal them. You see, because what it does, it, it begins to connect the possibility of faith to another person's heart. 
Because they, they wonder, well, wonder what happened. It says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened, and people do that. We've been walking people through. It's been amazing. I was over at the, the, uh, the post office the other day. It's hard to call it the church because it's still a post office, but I was at the post office, and this little old lady, sweet as can be, she looked like Aunt, Aunt B, you know, from Mayberry, you know, if you remember that show, and she came walking in, and she's got a little letter, and there's no place to mail this letter inside this one room she's in because it's where she used to go. And she goes, what do I do with this? And I go, I'll tell you what, I'm going I'm to walk it out, put it in the, in the, in the drive-thru for you, and you just go get in your car and have a great day. Oh, thank you. You are so sweet. Who are you? And I said, well, I'm the pastor. Oh, this is so, and she's just going on, you know, and I was hoping for like an apple pie or something, but she didn't bring me one, and, and I'm talking to her, and so I walk out, and you know, it's like 150 degrees out there, right? And so I walk out, and I'm standing there, and I, I put it in, and here comes a car driving by, and I'm grabbing the letters. Hey, let me put those in there for you. Four cars in a row come by, and they're going, this is ridiculous. This is like hand service here. And I thought, wow, that's a ministry for somebody. And if you need something to do, have very little skill, all you got to do is go like this. Right here, that's it. Just do that all day long, amen? People also explain. You see, most people do not reject God's gracious offer. They simply reduce it to the place to where it doesn't have any meaning. They don't reject it. They just simply reduce it and make it like explainable in their life. We don't ever want to do that. We want to say, you know, with God, we want to be people of gratitude and people of honor and say, God, we want to honor you and we want to be, give you the, the praise and the glory that you deserve. I don't want to explain away a miracle. People say, oh, well, yeah, you know, that, that probably happens that way. When you hear people say that, when you're talking about God and people say, well, you know, I've seen that happen before. It's almost like they're trying to take the glory away from God or reduce the miracle down to where it's understandable, acceptable, and plausible within this world that we live that is so driven by reason and logic and not the miraculous. What you want to do when they say that, no, no, this is not just something common. This is what God does. Your testimony is the same way. The one thing you have no one can diminish is if God changed your life, you have that story. No one can take that away from you. So when you begin to tell your story, hey, look, I don't have all the answers to the questions you have in the Bible, but here's one thing I do have. I do know that I met God. God changed my life. I can lay down at night and I can talk to the Lord God of the universe, and you could too. Now they might respond, well, that's fine for you. Well, it's fine for me and about a billion other people on planet Earth. Not everybody has disconnected from this God of the Bible. And I want to show you how you can connect as well with that God of the Bible. The other thing that's interesting about this passage is that, that when, when Luke writes this, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he weaves things together in such a way that if you're not careful, you'll miss out what's really happening here, because God's divine plan is being revealed in our world today. We've watched headlines this week. They're, they're filled with, uh, with news about what's happening, and is Syria really the issue, or is this a way to, to incite Iran uh, in such a way that Israel responds and we take care of Iran through Israel? Because I promise you this, this is a chess game. America is not that humanitarian. It's not. More people have been killed in Somalia than have been gassed in Syria. 
by rebels who crucify them. More crucifixions going on in Somalia than have gone on in the history of the world. Muslims crucifying Christians. And we have not lifted open up our heart and said we must stop this crime against humanity. I promise you on this great chess game of life, on this political agenda that is moving in and out, there are more, going on, more things going on here than you can well imagine. And the other thing that you have to keep in mind is that God is the God of master planning. He knows exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. He knows how to push things and pull things in a situation in order to accomplish his divine will. And I don't pretend to know what all God's up to. All I can tell you is what the Word of God says. We can observe what's happening in our world. We can read headlines. We can try to put pieces together and make sense of it. But that's the best we can do. But let's go back and look at this Acts 3.19 through 21. He says, basically, at the beginning there, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. We get that. That's pretty basic Christianity, isn't it? That we need to have faith in God. Then he says, when you do that, something is going to result from that. You're going to have a time of refreshing in your life. The Spirit of God is going to come in, and he's going to bring you new life, and you're going to, you're going to have a joy that's unexplainable. You're going to have a power that's undeniable. And that he may send Jesus who preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. Now, that's what's curious to me. Because we're waiting the restoration of all things. Now, if I take my Bible and I flip back to chapter 1 of the book of Genesis in verse 14, I find that God made the sun and the moon and the stars. He made them for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. The Hebrew word there for sign is literally the word signal. In other words, he put the moon there not just so we could walk outside and have a romantic evening with our wife. He put the moon out there not just to make us curious or somebody could take and finally land on the moon. He put it there. He said, that's what I'm giving you as a sign or a signal that you can note and you can understand something about what I'm up to. So when we read about this times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by all of his prophets since the world began, then we say, okay, what did the prophets have to say? What do they tell us about the world that is to come because we're all curious about the future, aren't we? I want to know about the future. I want to know certain things. I'm, at least I want to know the good stuff. How about you? I don't know if I want to know the bad stuff. I want to know the good stuff. Well, here's what we need to understand. There are two kingdoms in conflict. Most have not given up their faith. It has simply slipped away. I'm going to say this to you. A lot of you had greater faith in a former day than you have today. I don't say that because I know you in that sense. I'm just saying that what happens is we don't reject faith. We simply let it slip away. and We start to function in this human realm, in this natural realm, and we lose this, this sensitivity to the spiritual realm. We lose the sensitivity to the Word of God. We're not reading the Word of God and seeing what God has to say. We spend a lot of time watching TV, a lot of time going on vacation, a lot of time doing that, but we don't spend time in the Word of God, and it is the it is the revealer of the mind and the heart and the plan of God. What happens is this, this faith that we have here is dissolved by the acid of personal, personal comfort in our life. It's just easier not to do that. We've been robbed by consent. 
Someone is robbing us and we're allowing them to do that. Given to an enemy so subtle that we, like Samson, do not know that our power has left us. The restoration of all things is upon us. Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and 31. Look what Scripture says. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now this is that which was spoken of by by, there in the, by Luke in chapter 3, the restoration of all things that were spoken of by the prophets. Here's a prophet. The prophet Joel said, let me tell you something about what's coming. These things have not happened yet. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke, I haven't seen that. The sun shall be turned to dark, I haven't seen that. The moon into blood before the coming and the great and awesome day of the Lord, I haven't seen that. I haven't, let's say I haven't, I haven't tied any of that stuff to prophetic scriptures. Now let's go to the next step. Acts chapter 2, verse 20. Here's what Peter says. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now remember, both Joel and Peter are speaking from a Hebrew perspective. They're going to tie everything to the idea of Israel. What is the, what is the world? Because the world really does, in, in so many ways, it's so contingent upon what's happening in Israel. All the discussions about Syria, about Iran, about Iraq, about Saudi, about all these different places, Russia included, they all seem to come back to Israel. Because God has a people, and he has a purpose and a plan he's working out. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. John says, when I looked, he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. Now, the thing I've shown you in three scriptures, and more could be given, but the thing I've shown you is there is something consistent that God wants us to see. It is the moon will become like blood. There is a phenomena that will occur next year. It's called a tetrad. You can look it up in, on the NASA website. It really refers to four consecutive lunar eclipses that are all total eclipses, and when that happens, they call it a tetrad. Now, that in and of itself is not unusual. It is a phenomena that happens, though it didn't happen in the 14, 15, or 1600s at all. But it will happen next year. Now, let me show you this diagram because it's really interesting when you begin to see this idea of a blood moon and when you begin to tie it back to prophecy and trying to understand what's happening. There is a phenomena that is going to happen. The rarity of this phenomena, there are four blood moons scheduled to fall on Jewish feast days within the next two years. NASA website says this is very rare. It's only occurred seven times since 1 A.D., so the rarity of it makes you wonder and, and kind of think about this for a moment. But if you look at that diagram, you'll notice that there is that reference there to Passover, which is going to happen on April 15, 2014. Passover, we know, was that, that event that happened in Egypt where God redeemed the, the people of Israel out of Egypt. He led them out through the Red Sea and was bringing them then into the, the promised land. 
Sukkot is the, is the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the, the last of the feast, last of the seven. It was a joyous occasion that was happening there. And uh, it's going to happen on October 8th, 2014. Followed then by a total eclipse, you'll see there, on, uh, on March 20th, 2015. Now, the second thing that makes it interesting is not just the rarity of it, but when you start to tie history to the blood moons. So historical ties, 1492, we typically think of who? Christopher Columbus, right? Who, by all historical examination, was not Italian. Sorry, Italian heritage, he was Jewish. All right? Now, what happened? Why did he leave in 1492? Why did he press his case so hard uh, with the then ruling monarchs? It was because the Spanish Inquisition happened in 1492, in 1492, they expelled all the Spain expelled all the Jews out of uh, of Spain. Two hundred thousand of them that were expelled, and those who didn't get out were killed before they left. But also, we see Columbus, and if you read his journals, you read his his account his his uh, account of what happening happening. He gives credit to God. He talks about the freedom of people who are going to experience freedom in this new land. That would be in the historical context of the Spanish Inquisition. It wasn't just, he wasn't thinking what uh, the big picture was. He didn't know. He just knew that they were killing and expelling all the Jews, and he was getting out. Well, so the blood moons that were consistent where you have these tied to Jewish feasts happen in 1492. Another one was 1948. 1948, Israel became a nation. We know that within 24 hours of them uh, announcing independence that Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and Iraq all invaded. And somehow this little ragtag army of Jews with literally the only, the only fortification they had was barbed wire, somehow they were able to hold off these powerful armies, take and commandeer their tanks, take and control of their vehicles, and somehow win this battle against all these forces that were coming up against them. And again, the four blood moons, as the picture showed you earlier, was in place. Another time it happened was 1967. Many of you know of the Six-Day War. In the Six-Day War, again, the aggressors came against them. The Arab nations came against them. They tried to defeat Israel. Israel somehow, by some miracle of God, was able to defeat all that forces that came up against them in six days. But what happened was they recaptured Jerusalem. Now, what makes that interesting, it says, that Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And so we see Jerusalem coming into this prophetic picture. Now we start to tying some dates of 1948 and 1967 back to the biblical narrative. NASA said that four blood-red total lunar eclipses will fall again on Passover, Sukkoth, in 2014-2015, the same, the same exact back-to-back -back occurrences that happened, 1492, 1948, and 1967. Seven back-to-back -back blood red moons have fallen on the first day of Passover and Sukkoth, and this will be the eighth time coming in 2014-2015. Is that eight is the number of completion in Scripture? Are we saying that something phenomena is some phenomena is going to happen next year or in 2015? Absolutely, we just don't know what it is. We could speculate, 
We could say, is this the return of the Lord? Is this the entrance at the beginning of the great tribulation? Or is this just something different? Is this going to be Israel getting all the land back that was originally given to them through Abraham and the promise of God in Genesis 12? We don't know. What I'm saying is we're living in very, very rare and unique days. You see, when Jesus spoke, he looked over at the temple. He looked over the temple. He said, you tear that, th- this temple down, and, and, uh, and in three days they'll rise it up. And they thought he was talking about the physical temple, but he was talking about the temple of his own body. But their eyes were fixed as he sat there, and he looked across the hill from the Mount of Olives. He looked, and they, they saw that temple, and they began to wonder. They'd been there many times. In fact, there's this, there's this great wall that's still there, this wailing wall where they go, and you can go there today, and you can put prayers within that wailing wall. Imagine this scene. Look at this picture. Imagine the scene of the wailing wall, the Jews assembled there, and the blood-red moon above it, and the God of heaven is revealed. You see... You don't have to wait for that moment because the God of heaven is revealed right now. Jesus said in John 12, 32, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Can you feel the drawing of God in your heart? Christian, can you feel the drawing? I need to get closer. I need to be more more committed in these last days. If you don't know Christ, can I say, can you feel the draw of God in your heart? It's not a a draw to go to church. It's a draw to come to Jesus. Church follows. What's important is coming to Jesus. I remember when I was first made aware of this God of the universe, this Jesus, and I began to read the Bible, and I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to do anything. And I I remember getting on my knees. I just thought God could hear me better on my knees. And I said something like this, God, I don't even know if you can hear me. I don't know if you want to hear me. But I believe what I've been reading about Jesus. And I give you my heart. I give you my life. Save me, Jesus. And I didn't have some phenomenal experience. I didn't see visions. I didn't see anything. I had this calm that came on me this awareness that came on me that I was in the presence of God and that God loved me and God forgave my sins. If you have not had that experience, I'm going to ask you today to have that experience. Would you stand with me as we pray? The drawing of the Spirit of God. No man comes to the Father except the Spirit of God draw him. And I pray for the drawing of the Spirit of God now. For those of you who are uncertain of your eternal destiny, for those of you who don't know if you really know him, but you just know about him, can I just ask you to to consider this prayer that I'm going to pray, and it can be your prayer. You can pray it right where you stand or sit. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died were buried and rose from the dead. You did that for my sins, to give me new life. I want to confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to ask you to cleanse me and to write my name in the book of life. 
Lord Jesus, here is my life. Here is my soul. Here is everything. I want to follow you. Save me right now, Jesus. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's the promise of God. If that was your prayer right now in your own words, would you just thank him? Would you just give him praise right now and just say thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for hearing my prayers, for writing my name in the book of life. And if that was your prayer today, would you just slip your hand up? No one's looking around. Just slip your hand up and God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you, sir. Amen. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Just keep your hand up another second. Anybody else? Those of you who have your hands lifted, let me just say this. The God of creation, the God of all the universe loves you. And what he says, he promises he will keep. Accept his love, accept his grace. Those of you who did not raise your hand and you say, I, I know the Lord already, are you as close to him as you have been? Would you recommit right now, just in prayer, God, I recommit to you. Forgive me, God, for, for just kind of neglecting this faith that you gave me, this hope that you gave me within, and restoring me and give me power and strength to live godly for you and to proclaim your name and to influence this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. As we sing this song, would you just allow this commitment you've made to just kind of firm itself up in your heart? Let's sing.